Four top tips. The first one is determination, passion and belief in yourself. If you don't believe you can do it and you don't push yourself to get there, that's probably the biggest impediment to being successful. You have to have faith in yourself. Even though we have that self-doubt, you've got to overcome that and you've got to be determined. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Now, let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Rights for Women. My guest on the convo couch today for this business of writing episode is Annie Seaton. Annie is an award-winning Australian author, and her inspiration comes from the beauty of the Australian landscape that she sees around her on her many and varied travels. In 2016, Annie's novel Kakadu Sunset was shortlisted for the RWA Ruby Awards, and in 2018, Sunday Dawn was voted Book of the Year in the Osram Today Reader's Choice Awards. You can guess from the titles of Annie's books that they are firmly rooted in the landscape but they also have enthralling characters and riveting plots that will keep you turning the page. Annie's love of travel is clear in the settings for her romance novels, which will take you far and wide to swoonworthy destinations and even across time. Annie has written many books in series format as well as standalones, and they're each available in print and ebook at online retailers, as well as at her shop on her website. She's managed to straddle the traditional and indie divide to become a successful hybrid author and has a mind-boggling writing schedule and also a business in editing and graphic design. Seriously, this is one woman that I find very, very hard to keep up with. It's because of her extensive knowledge and experience in so many facets of the publishing industry that I've asked Annie to join me on the Convo Couch today for this business of writing episode. And it just so happens that she also has a release coming out very soon, Osprey Reef, which we're going to get to talk to her about as well. So sit back, grab a cuppa, and join Annie Seaton and I on the Convo Couch. So Annie Seaton, welcome to the Rights for Women Convo Couch. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and we've had our little catch up and now we can have a real chat. <laughs> we have. For everyone who's listening, Annie and I have been talking for 40 minutes already. So <laughs> <laughs> we've probably but, been through everything. <laughs> but we never run out of anything to talk about. So it's really great to have you here, Annie. You and I, I think, first met at the Outback Writers Festival, wasn't it? At Winton in 2016. How yeah. quickly has that gone? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. And we've managed to catch up a few times since then. First time for you on the Convo Couch. So for anybody who isn't aware of your background and your life as a writer, can you tell us how you got to be a writer? Okay. I wanted to be a writer. I have wanted to be a writer since I was four years old when my mum first took me to a library. It took me quite a while. I wrote my first story when I was 11. 
I wrote my second story when I was about 34, I think, and joined a local writers group when we moved up here to the North Coast. And then when I retired young, I won't say how young, (laughs) but it was retirement age, (laughs) as a high school principal, I decided it was now or never and I'd see if I could write a book and never dreaming that I would have such incredible success and end up writing I know you're going to ask me how many books I've written. It's either 49, 50 or 51. I've lost count in the last 10 years. <laughs> it's amazing. I tried to work it out by looking at your website. You've got all those box sets on there. In the end, I thought I gave up. I, thought, I know. No, I've got box sets. I've got anthologies. I've got audio. I've got translations. And if you look at all of those individual bits and pieces that aren't that are all the stories in various incantations, I think it's well, it's close to 70 different things now. That's amazing. I, I joined RWA when I started writing. I subbed a book to Entangle Publishing. That book became an immediate hit in the US, which I still can't understand. I sold 106,000 ebook copies of my first book in the US. Wow. And I got to number one in romance series writers back in about 2012 on Amazon. You know, and if I'd known that was going to happen, I, I think I probably would have even picked a different pen name. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, here I am 10 years, well, 11 years later now. And 70 something books. Oh, no, 50, probably 52 different stories. Okay. Which leads to the next question, Annie, is how are you so prolific? I know that you are someone who, you know, once you get an idea, you just go hell for leather. But talk us through your writing process. Okay, I'm very, very disciplined. Well, I try to be. Today I have to write 2,000 words. I haven't done it yet because I didn't write my 1,000 words yesterday that I had set myself because marketing and things like that that we'll talk about later has interfered with my process today. But I get an idea. The idea usually comes from a landscape. I then look at the setting. I look at an issue that threatens that setting. And then lastly, my characters come and I give them their issues. It all then comes together in some sort of melding inside my brain. I do no planning. I have no notes. I have no character worksheets. I have no nothing. In fact, sometimes when I'm typing away, I'll go, what's his name? Who who, who am I writing about? What's the character's name? (laughs) You know, if I I need to know what colour eyes he had, I have to go back and do a search on eyes to remember what colour eyes he had. So I just have all of this stuff in my head and the story comes together and by the time I'm ready to write it, it's all there and it's just getting that disciplined time to get it out through my fingers into the keyboard Mm. and then it all comes together and a book is written. (laughs) Magic. But, yeah, it it is magic. Well, it's it's not just magic. As you say, it's actually discipline. And I know because I've I've seen you when you've been on the road and I know that you actually even sit and type while you're in in your car touring around (laughs) with your husband. I do. I've got some good stories. I had some edits for Entangle Publishing years ago when I was still only in e-book and uh, we were in our camper trail on an unpowered site and I sat on the laundry floor on cold tiles at Taylor's Beach with my laptop plugged into their washing machine PowerPoint so I could do my edits. And I think every RWA or RWNZ conference I've been to, I always get edits when I'm away. I've I've sat on many airport floors next to PowerPoints and done edits. <laughs> so, yes, you know, it doesn't matter where you are as long as you've got a computer and power, you're right. <laughs> yeah. 
So do you find that once you're writing and you're sort of in that story world, you're able to then just block out everything that's going on around you? Absolutely. You know, I can be in the car and Ian always laughs. I think probably about the time we met you, you know, I'd be typing away going through Longreach and he'd go, there's an emu, dear. And I go, oh, away from the keyboard, there's an emu back to the keyboard. Oh, well, seen one of you, seen them all. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very disciplined, very structured. At the moment, I, I write for at least four to five hours every day. I had a book due when we got back from our trip about five weeks ago. And because I had learned a little bit more about life balance, I didn't work as hard as I should have while we were away and I had to write 60,000 words when we got home and I managed that in 16 days, which it probably would go close to a record, but um, it usually takes me three to four months to write a book, not two months. Oh. And do you revise as you go, Annie, or are you just... Oh, you, I do. That, yeah. That's part of my process. When I start writing every day, I go back to the first word of Chapter 1 And it doesn't matter if I'm up to chapter 59. When I start writing that day, I go back to chapter one. And that's the way I keep my continuity right. That's the way I layer as I go because I don't know where my character is going to take me when I'm writing chapter one. By the time I'm up to chapter 50, whatever, I might find that something that's happened to them has shown a facet of their character later in the book. And then I can go back and touch on that in my earlier chapters. So By the time I get to the end of my final chapter, my book has been looked at and edited and many drafts have been done within that one manuscript, Mm. probably 60 or 70 full reads. And that's why when I finish it, it's pretty much structurally sound and then it goes to my uh, editor who we exchange our books and we edit each other's books and then I have a proofreader a local author who proofreads them and then it goes either to my self-publishing process or my traditional publisher mm. and then the weight that's begins. amazing yeah that's- so yeah it's a, it's a different process to go back to chapter one every day but I feel as though it really immerses me in the story and I become those characters and I know what they're feeling and what they're thinking and it's so much easier to progress with the rest of the story. That is interesting because, do you know, Rachel Johns has a very similar process. When I was talking to Rachel earlier in the year, she said she finds that she goes back to the beginning and then starts writing, although she was actually saying she feels like she needs to revise that process because it takes us so long to then keep moving forward. But like you say, you end up with a pretty polished manuscript, don't you, that way? Yeah, and and you're deep into it. You don't have to go back and do that deeper point of view or layer your characters. It, it happens as the story progresses and it, I, I, it might be time-consuming but it's easier for me to do it that way than to come to the end of something that's a huge mess and have to go back and try and fix it. Yeah, and it's so important to trust your own process, isn't it? You know, like we all work out ways that work for us eventually. Yeah, Yeah. and once I'm in the story of a day, it's the getting started that's my problem because I like to procrastinate and do all sorts of things. But once I start writing, I think, why didn't I do this three hours ago? Because I love being there. 
So once yeah. I'm there, I'm fine. So once I, tonight I have to go back to, um, or this afternoon, I won't leave it till tonight, I'm going back to 1851. My hero is a, a potter in the um, pottery stand in Cornwall. So I've been doing lots of research and I'm really looking forward to going back to 1851 this afternoon. Yeah, a bit of time travel, why not? Yeah. And it is a time we... travel. And my heroine is actually, time, she has time travel back there. So that's, okay. that's a big part of it. <laughs> nice. Well, you mentioned that you actually do both self-publishing or indie publishing and trad. How did that come about that you end up having a, a foot in both camps and how do you sort of navigate the, those two worlds, if you like? Okay, well, back about oh, probably about five or six years ago, I was contracted with three other Australian and New Zealand authors to write a continuity series for Entangle Publishing, which meant that it was four separate stories with a common theme written by four different people. And it was about a missing emerald necklace. And my story was um, set in the late 18th, early 18th century, late, probably no, I mean 17th century pirates in New Orleans. Anyway, we had it all planned and we had to sub it all and all of the worksheets and all of the stuff that you have to write down, you know, when you're supposed to know what you're doing. And it was all organised and the publisher then decided, even though it was contracted, they decided to rescind that contract. They decided they didn't want to go ahead with it. And we'd done all of this work. So I have fairly solid technology skills and I said, let's have a go at indie publishing. Well, that was the beginning and since those days, I have indie published a lot of books for myself. Probably about 80% of my work is now indie published. I work with other authors. I edit, format, do covers, upload and do the whole process for them because years ago I was a technology consultant for the Department of Education and I picked up my original website I wrote in HTML code. So I had a lot of knowledge of programming and just the process of software I understood. So for me to do the sorts of things that are needed to upload and get a manuscript ready, I, I can I can get a book up in less than half an hour. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you write your trade books sort of alongside your indie publications. I have now, what did I say? I, had a, I, had a, I still have a foot in three camps. I still have four or five books with Entangle Publishing. I have got seven or eight of them back over the years. The rights have been reverted and I've indie published them. I have my trade contracts with HarperCollins and I have my indie career. I also have trade contracts with Alvescroft Audio Production in the UK and I've got a couple of contracts with Libaha Publishing in Brazil who are translating my books into Portuguese. So, you know, I, I really sit as a hybrid in the mm. uh, traditional and independent publishing side of things. Yeah. So what do you see as the advantages, Anita, of indie publishing? Controlled. Absolute yeah. control. <laughs> I did take so I did get my notes down here. Oh, one of the advantages, one of the best things about indie publishing, there are so many groups um, in the indie world that I belong to, predominantly on Facebook, mm. where someone might put up a question about, you know, I'm having problems with this or I'm not sure which cover is best or what would you do with this? And I find that the sharing 
in the indie community is so open and giving. You might have heard of the group called Indie Royalty, Sasha Cotman's group. So it's such a giving community. And that's just one example. There's probably, I probably belong to 10 or 12 different groups. Mm. So I find that the indie community, I think the trad arena is so competitive you know, it's so hard to get a contract. It's mm. you, you want to have good sales. You have to have good sales to get future contracts. You know, if you do an indie book and it might doesn't sell as well as maybe some of the others, you think, oh, well, I won't write that genre anymore, and you go back again. You've always got that opportunity and the chance to keep going with um, your publication. No, oh. there's no... Um end time is there that's the thing with indie pub books I mean you can promote them for the rest of your life if you want exactly. to exactly yeah. well I my first three books trad books with uh, Pan McMillan 2015 16 and 17 Kakadu Daintree and Diamond Sky they sold very well in print when they were in the stores. The rights were reverted after they were remainded and they went out of print and they decided not to reprint them. I got the rights back, I reformatted, I did new covers and I still advertise those books and I've now sold more books, more copies of those books as an indie author, as uh, indie publishing them, than I did with the traditional publishing. And Incredible. Mm-hmm. Those books sold very well when they're in the stores. So, and I've got contracts to have them put into audio, and I can chase whether I want them translated into German or whatever. Whereas, when you're with a trad publisher, even though you know I'm with one and they have their place, when you are independent, you have so much more control and so many more options with are open to you. Plus, the time frame is so much faster. You don't have to mm. wait in turn. It's your your baby, your book, and your life. Yeah, yeah, that's true, isn't it? What about yeah. what would be some of the disadvantages, if if you can think of any, of being indie published as opposed to the trad publishing? I can't think of any, to be honest. I, I really can't. You know, you've got control over your time frame. You've got control over your editing. If your cover doesn't work, you can pull it down and put the cover up. One of my trad books, I wasn't really happy with the cover, but I trusted the publisher's words when I queried it about what their marketing thought would work. And I've had lots of readers say, oh, the cover was very dark. So I suggested recently that perhaps we could have a different cover that was like the two books that are selling a lot better and, you know, no, we'll think about it down the track. Whereas if mm. I was indie, if that had been one of my indie books, I would have had a new cover within 24 hours. So you've yeah. got that much faster time frame. And I, I think being in both camps and having had the experience of looking at sales, looking at covers, looking at what marketing, your understanding of what works is instant. You know, you put something up, nothing happens. You try something else, oh, wow, sold 15 copies today, that works. That's the niche. I always remember when I was with my original trad publisher, the my agent asked whether we could have a book bub featured deal, which are the holy grail for indie or trad publishing authors. And my agent came back to me and said, oh, the CEO of that particular publishing house doesn't believe in BookBub ads. That was the okay. response. <laughs> Even it's a though completely I completely different mindset, isn't it? 
And I had offered to pay for it too, which meant, you know, they were going to get 90% of the, the takings. And then, you know, I did, when I got the rights back, I did, I have had two book bump feature deals and I had 40,000 downloads of that book from a book bump feature deal. <laughs> That's incredible. That is incredible. Yeah, so it's yeah. a whole new world. What about in terms of skill sets, Annie? Like in what would you say you've learnt from each of those camps, the trad and the, the indie, in terms of up, upskilling yourself? Um, it's been interesting. I think as an indie published author and doing lots of your own editing, I do, do get all of my books professionally edited, but I've learned sometimes when you're with a trad publisher, they'll want you to change things. And we've had this discussion earlier because they don't quite agree with where your character's going or what your premise is. I know in my heart what I'm trying to say and I really hate it when someone says, no, we don't want that character or we don't want that point of view because it's all part of my story that makes my story work. So I've learned from the trad arena to trust my heart because... Ultimately, we come full circle and I have to justify and say why I think this should work and why I want this character to have this particular issue or growth or character arc or whatever. And when it comes back to my original idea, it works. So I've Mm. learned very much to trust myself you know, starting out earlier on, whether it be with the digital publisher, the indie work or the trad, because I've only been an author for 11 years, I I still carry self-doubt. I still think, mm. oh, you know, I can't really write. It's just I'm very good at marketing. And then I'll get lovely reviews and think, oh, maybe I can write sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't think that ever goes away, you know. Like oh, it so doesn't. many authors I've spoken to, it doesn't matter whether it's 5, 11, 20 years, I think everybody yeah. still has that self-doubt. Yeah. You know? I, 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 I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, it's an essential part of being an author because if you think, oh, I can do it, you're not going to listen to anybody. Mm. Uh, my, my book that I've just sent off to my publisher, I sent off to my editor who reads my work to start with and she said, but, you know, I think this would work better and that would work better. And when I went back and read it, she was right. So I took her thoughts on board. And when it went to my proofreader, she went, oh, that was so good. I didn't know who the baddie was because you you did have the red herrings and you did have the markers, but it was so well done, I didn't pick it. So that was by listening to my editor who'd made yeah. those suggestions. So, you know, you do get too close to work. So I really worry about people who indie publish because they think they can just write a story and put it up there with no editing no proofreading, Mm. no proper formatting because that gives indie publishing such a bad name. But I do think that the respect for indie publishing has really grown, particularly in the last two or three years. It's now a force to be reckoned with. Yes, I would agree with that. And I I think the fact that a lot of people who have been trad not a lot, but a certain a substantial number of people are now opting to to take, you know, to put their books out in the indie way rather than and going. Not only um, 50-50, like I, or you know, one foot in each um, world. I know a couple of very big authors who have 
broken with their publishers mm. and are now 100% indie, indie yeah. published and doing yeah. brilliantly. So, yes. um, you know, when you get big enough, you can afford to lose that big W target, Kmart, bookstore market. <laughs> yeah, that's um, the thing, isn't it? It's that having your, your books on that physical bookshelf that's easily accessible to, to readers. The solution for that for me has been to create my own online store and I use a commercial software store. As you know, I've got Osprey Reef coming out in a couple of weeks and I've got Lara Pinter, book five in the Porter Sisters series coming out next March. And I pulled up my customer list from the database on the store site this morning and I just wrote a little chatty email saying you know you might have lost touch but I've got a book coming out in a couple of weeks it will be available in bookstores you can get a signed copy from me plus I've got a time travel coming out next month and another book coming out in March I just sent a a, a very chatty almost like a newsletter to my customer database And the program that I've got that I use as the store software makes a little ka-ching noise on your phone when an order comes in. Well, I was sitting there before. I've actually turned my phone off now because every two minutes my phone was going ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. And I'm going, oh, I like this game. Wow. (laughs) And that was from a newsletter that went out to my past customers. And I've had so many orders come in today. It's been incredible. So That's amazing. Annie, I have a store on my website and I've never thought to do that. Oh, yes, yeah. Do you have a customer database? That you I have no get? idea. I'm going to go and find out when we yes. stop speaking. <laughs> yes, I, I use, I pay $22 a month to use this, commer- oh, I forget what do they call themselves, Equid Online they are. Okay. I don't know, generic I don't know if I have one, but if I haven't got one, I'm going to get one. Get one. <laughs> Works, <laughs> trust yes. me. That's marketing tip number one. <laughs> Now, while we're on marketing, you are great at marketing. You're really good, I know, because I've been with you when you've been doing it, at checking your numbers on Amazon and all that sort of stuff. What do you see are the essential things that somebody who is putting their books out there, obviously you have more control over it when you are indie in terms of the sales and marketing. What can you tell us about that? Okay, absolute constant marketing every day, seven days a week. 365 days of the year I market. Now, what I mean by market is I might get onto Facebook and I might like somebody else's post. I might get onto Facebook and I might comment on a post. I might take a picture of my beach here when I go for a walk with the dog and put that up on Instagram. To me, that is all marketing because all of my social media sites and my Instagram account, Twitter, I've pretty much let go because it wasn't working for me, but are all my author persona. Mm. So everything I do, you know, people might say after seeing five dog photos or beach photos, who is this Annie Seaton? I can check that because I've got software um, that tracks the visitors to my website. Right. Um, I can send out a newsletter and my newsletter software will show me how many people opened it in the US or the UK, I can then go to my tracking software on my website and see how many of those people came and looked at my website. I can drill down further and see how many of those people visited my books page, how many of those Australian visitors visited my bookstore. So it's that constant presence on social media for me that is the key. And the social media platform that works for me is Facebook. When Facebook was down 
what four or five days ago. ago. Yeah, last yeah. week. Yeah, and apparently it went down again the day before yesterday, and I didn't okay. notice because I was out walking the dog. But I would have panicked otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Come because back. If I didn't have Facebook, I think that would be 90% of my marketing gone. Mm. So it's very, very interesting. So, you know, you're very much under their control. I've noticed since it changed, since it went down a week ago, my audience is slightly different. But to me, that's an advantage because you've got a different audience now. So I'm reposting a few things. I've got a couple of books that the rights were reverted for last week. And this, again, is the advantage of being indie. It was probably last what's today yeah it would have been last Tuesday or Wednesday I got the letter from the publisher saying the rights were reverted I was checking Amazon every day to see if they took them down there by the time they were down on Sunday I had re-edited both of those books put the British spelling in instead of the UK spelling tweaked a few chapters produced a cover for each had them formatted and ready to go so as soon as I noticed they were down they went up now my pre-orders are usually very good and I noticed two days ago that I'd had no pre-orders for these new books. I'm blaming Facebook a little bit. So I went over and I put them onto my Annie Seaton author business page last night and within an hour the pre-orders started coming in. So that showed me that it's my business page that is getting the response now rather than my profile page. So that's okay. something that's changed. So I think in terms of marketing and knowing what works, it's knowing what social media does for me, how it works, and also being an absolute statistics obsessive compulsive. <laughs> yeah, you're very good on the analytics, Annie. That word analytics, anything yes. like that, I break out in a cold sweat. A lot of people and do. I, I, I don't know how to get over that. I don't know. I know that I have to start doing this stuff, but I just can't See, force myself I, to do I, it. I love it. It's always been, I think it's something that I love doing because I can remember when the internet was invented, you know, way back how can when. I? Way back when, I can remember being on bulletin boards and so excited because I'd type something and someone would put a response. You know, that was the very early days of the internet. Now what we can do mm. and how crazy it's got. So it's something that I really enjoy doing and I always tell the story when I check my Amazon rank, so I'm getting a little bit better at it. I'm not doing it every half hour every day now. <laughs> I used to I used to have this visual um, image out of Harry Potter where those goblins were sitting the Gringotts or whatever they were. Oh yeah, yeah. Bank Gringotts. And I used to have this image of me checking my rankings and one of these little goblins saying, "Oh God, Annie Seaton's checking her rankings again." (laughs) (laughs) So, and what um, about Amazon and Facebook advertising? What do you think of those two platforms? My advertising is social media. I've tried throwing, I I use the analogy of standing in the gutter, tearing up $20 notes and throwing them in the gutter. That's what advertising has done for me. That being said, I am currently purchasing the Mark Dawson course. It's very, very expensive. Yeah, Um, I've got that one, yep. I've been, I started buying it, was $100 US a month or something about five months ago because when I finish I always say when I finish this book, but there's always another one lined up. (laughs) I'm going to sit down and I'm going to 
do the analytics on this and I'll try and put it into practice because, you know, when you look at the indie groups, there are people making seven figures a year Mm. out of their indie publishing that swear by it. That being said, those people are also putting three and four hundred thousand dollars a year into this. They're investing a lot. Yeah. They're investing a lot. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm happy with my income. I'm happy with the time that I put into what I'm doing. I've I've got, as I said, much more of a life balance now. I've got quite a nice front garden and the dog's being walked more regularly. (laughs) But do I really want to get into this advertising arena when I'm quite satisfied with where I am. So I'll, I'll make a judgment call on that after I do, after I look at the course. But no, my, my success has been all organic, not that's, paid advertising. That's really good to know. Yeah. And it, it shows that you can do that too. Do you think that it's really important to <clears throat> put books out reasonably often? Like, do you think that it's yes. important to have a fast yeah. turnover in books to, to make? Oh. Money out I'm doing the analytics on that at the moment. Last year um, or the year before, I was out on the Elizabeth E2, the boat that was my inspiration for Osprey Reef that's coming out on the 27th of October, and we were steaming from the Whitsunday Islands down to Mackay, and there was this incredible island that just reared up out of the sea. It's a volcanic peak, and I was fascinated with it. It was just there. So I went and looked at the map that was in the boat. They have this beautiful hand-drawn map that's been there since the 1970s. And that book is that map is actually reproduced in the front of Osprey Reef to suit my story in Osprey Reef and the actual boat name. And I went and found it and it was called Pentecost Island. And it just stayed with me. And by the time we got to Mackay, I'd forgotten all about Osprey Reef, which I was I was learning about the boat. I did that. But I had this series in my head about these women that went to Pentecost Island and started a resort. And it ended up becoming a 10-book series that I released over about 13 months last year, which really put the pressure on because they were 40 to 45,000 words each and I wrote them all probably in less than a year. As well as that, I did the formatting, the covers, had them edited, proofread, but I noticed Last year, as soon as they started coming out, my backlist started selling a lot more. Right. So by putting out a book a month, it really reignites that interest in you and your previous books. Mm. You know, you couldn't do it. You couldn't do a five-book series and expect that to happen if you didn't have that solid backlist. But I was selling copies of my cute little Winter of the Passion Flower that was my first book before Holiday Affair back in 2011, 2012, I think it came out, a little steampunk novella. And it's selling now. I, I noticed this morning I've sold two copies of that on Ingram Spark overnight, you know, and that's been out there for 11 years. Yeah. Well, 10 years or so. So, yes, definitely to answer your question, getting out books fast, but it's also very, very hard. So what about, um, you mentioned newsletters, Annie. Do you have a a regular newsletter? I try to put one out. (sighs) It was once a month for a while. I'm in a box set that's coming out two days before Osprey Reef with some New Zealand um, and Australian girls, and I really need to, I've had to up the ante with my newsletter, so I've been putting one out most Sundays. I still haven't got to last Sunday's. I'm still to be convinced, and this is very Mm. different to what most people will say and on the indie groups too, 
about newsletters being essential because mm. I look at the analytics after I put the newsletter out. Sometimes my sales will go up, not significantly, not as much as a Facebook post might do. And I wonder about, you know, I get lots of unsubscribes. I don't believe in these ones where you pay to join a Facebook group or pay to join a website where they will give away a free book of yours and people oh, sign yeah. up for your newsletter because all you get, the first newsletter, you get 10,000 unsubscribes. Yeah. I've, I've built my <laughs> newsletter organically and I know, and I've only got, I think, 4,500 subscribers and I'd say probably 2,000 of those are people who are interested in my books. But yeah. when I put a newsletter out, I think the sales don't show because those 2,000 people have already got my books. So yeah. it's, you know, a bit of a catch-22 there. So I'm, not, I'm still not convinced. I've tried three or four different types of mail software. I've tried not having mail software, but it's all time-consuming and it mm. takes away from writing time. Yeah, that's the trick, isn't it? You know, so many of these things that we have to do, Take mm. that's time you can be spending writing. So it's getting that balance all the time, isn't it? I say to my husband, you know, if you would only package up my books for me and go to the post office for me, and he looks at me and says, I'm retired, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you've got all that stuff too. You've got to go to the post office and yeah. you've got to sign the books and package them and drive there and tax, putting inputting my tax. My accountant had a problem with their software and I didn't get my um, spreadsheet until a week before the end of September when you've got to have your, they do all my baz and everything for me. But I had three months of statements to fill out. And when you're indie and traditional and working as an editor it's and doing covers and with an audio publisher and foreign publishers and you publish individually to Amazon, Kobo, Apple, Barnes & Noble, Google, you've got income streams from many places that all have getting to a headache thinking into about this spreadsheet. <laughs> this is why there's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> yeah. Are you a good sleeper, Annie? Do you sleep well? When I go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> about four, four to five hours a night's pretty good, and yeah. then every third or fourth night I'll have a big sleep. <laughs> Oh, whatever works. You've got your beautiful Osprey Reef poster there behind you. If anybody's watching on video, you'll be able to see that. And you mentioned it before. It's coming out at the end of this month. Tell us about Osprey Reef. Osprey Reef is a dual timeline story set in contemporary times pre-COVID, which I think we all struggle with. Do mm. we put COVID into our books or not? But this one was set pre-COVID because I wrote it back then. It's about a commercial shipping captain, a female commercial shipping captain, and the inspiration for Bethany Christensen, my heroine, came from an actual female sea captain whose book I edited about five or six years ago. And she was the first commercial shipping captain in Australia working up in the Gulf of Carpentaria. Her book, which she still hasn't got round to indie publishing, uh -huh. was called Some Sailors Do Wear Skirts which I love. Love it. I spoke to Courtney and I said, look, I just enjoyed your story so much. I'm writing a story about a female shipping captain. Do you mind if I touch on some of your experiences when you're away, you know, about the issues of being a female in such a male world? And mm. she was happy for me to do that. So my heroine is having problems in a male world. Her business is not going terribly well. 
she has the opportunity to do a scientific charter at to a place called Osprey Reef. And I was very fortunate in the, the, bo- the boat that I mentioned before, the Elizabeth E2, which you can Google and have a look at on Facebook or their website, is owned by our nephew. And that's when I went on the boat and his other captain was on and I was up in the wheelhouse saying, what's that do? Why are you doing that? What's that for? And I had lots and lots of photos, which is one way I work with research. And I I did that trip. I then got the inspiration for Pentecost Island, came back to write Osprey Reef. Actually, it might have been before this. I've lost my timeline there. My nephew rang up um, Ian and said, look, I need a decky, deckhand to come out to Osprey Reef for me for three weeks on a, a a trip. I think that might have been a scientific charter as well. And so my husband took long service leave from his work and went out on this boat trip out to Osprey Reef for three weeks. So he was my eyes and he was my researcher for the actual reef because 200 and something nautical miles offshore is way too far from land for me. I'm a squid. I I couldn't go (laughs) in a little boat like that. So I actually had the hands-on and the eyes out at Osprey Reef. So in my usual ecological eco-adventure romance, I had an issue that was threatening the reef, I had an issue that was threatening the business, and I had the issues that were threatening my characters. At the same time, I have a timeline set in the 1930s, uh, and it's about the building of the harbour seawall at the Mackay Marina. And my heroine in the 1930s is actually Brittany's great-grandmother. And there was a mystery that occurred back in the 1930s, a family mystery that was never, never resolved. And through Bethany's experiences on her trip out to Osprey Reef, the family mystery is solved with her in great danger. As of course, being a suspense book. Yeah. Um, I, I loved writing it and I hope it resonates with readers as much as I, I do love that story. I still cry. I'm, when I proofed it, I cried. So that's well, always, that's always a good, a good sign. <laughs> I is. always find with mine, if I'm at the point at the in those final, final revisions, that last revision, when and I don't cry anymore, I know I'm done with it. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, I still cry. I still cry when I read Andara. I still cry when I read with Sunday Dawn, so I'm a softie. <laughs> I can't look at it after that point. It's it's dead to me by then. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm waiting for Osprey Reef, the, the author copies from HarperCollins. They're due any moment. Every time a truck pulls up outside, I'm running to the window, but I still haven't held it in my hand. It should come in the next day or two, I hope. Oh, and it's such a beautiful cover. You know, you've oh, got that gorgeous image behind you there. It's, it's divine and, it, and it, was, it was perfect because, you know, those blue waters and it's mm. set in the Whitsundays and Mackay and out at the reef and my favourite place in the world. I love that you have all this hands-on stuff in your books, Annie. You, you're off travelling so a good proportion of the year and you take mm. all those sights and sounds and experiences from your travels and distil them into yeah. your books. Well, I, I always say that you cannot write a, an authentic scene unless you've smelled the air around you, felt that wind on your skin and listened to the sounds. Now, the book that I sent off to HarperCollins yesterday is set out at a place called Ruby Gap, which is 115 kilometres east of Alice Springs 
in an absolutely isolated, arid, red desert area. But there's like a little oasis there called Ruby Gap with a permanent waterhole and green grass and beautiful red cliffs and blue sky. And when I was writing it over the last few weeks and looking at our photos, it all came back to me. I could almost smell the um, air. I could hear the birds. So that informs my writing and hopefully makes for very authentic settings. There's Mm. nothing like having been there. No, I thoroughly agree. And, you know, as I said, we met up in Winton. I went for the Outback Writers Festival and prior to that, that was my first experience the year before in being in the Outback and that's when I was writing The Crossroads. I could write the book never having been there, but as you say, that actually going to the place and experiencing what it's like talking to the people who live there gathering all those different experiences, it just makes it, makes it so much richer, doesn't it? Oh, it just informs it. And the a lot of my reviews say that um, my landscape all bec- almost becomes a character in its own right and that people say it's like an armchair journey to these mm. places that they'll never get to, which is really lovely to know that I can take readers to those remote places. Oh, it's fabulous. The other aspect of your work, Annie, which we did touch on was your editor, cover design and website designing as well. A, how do you fit that in? And B, (laughs) do you find that those things are a great adjunct to your own writing and creativity? I wrote some notes here. What did I say? Yes, okay. I learn new skills. Now, I had somebody who wanted a cover and they were very, very specific on what they wanted on the cover. Now, I'm self-taught with Photoshop. I would love to go and learn how to do Photoshop properly. There was a local TAFE course and when I looked at it, it was $7,000 to learn how to use Photoshop. So YouTube's quite a good teacher. So they actually wanted this person cut out and put into a different background and I managed to teach myself how to do that and that was learning a new skill and I've been able to do that myself so many times now. The one that I never had success with, I had someone who found this image of a person they wanted on the cover and they had black hair and they wanted them to be blonde. Oh, okay. I gave up on that one. (laughs) It's a bit tricky, that one. So that was (laughs) lots of new skills. The connections that I make through working with these people A big part of what I do is mentoring aspiring authors and being able to guide them by teaching them, yes, you know, you're going really well, your story has got great potential, but you need to use deeper point of view or you need to do something different or you need to do this. So I get a lot of satisfaction out of mentoring um, these authors who've never been published great satisfaction in seeing them get picked up after I've edited their books by either a trad publisher or by successfully self-publishing because as you know writing is a very lonely business and just the connections and you know I might have 25 or 30 conversations a day with different people now you know in Facebook messenger or by email as I'm working so you feel as though you're part of a workplace when yeah. you're doing all this. And I've had um, clients all over the world. I've got um, clients in the UK, the US, lots in New Zealand. So a, a nice little international group of friends, author friends. Yeah, I like you say the connections that you make in this business are, are the best. I think oh, that's the best are. thing about it. One thing that I haven't written down as a question, but you alluded to earlier was your coming back from your recent trip and, and saying that you think you've found a better work-life balance can you talk a little bit about that and what's brought you to that 
decision? Well, the first nine years that I was writing, my husband was still going to work to school every day. So I would be at my desk by eight o'clock. I sometimes would be very naughty and not get up again till four o'clock, you know, not stretching Mm. or work right apart from running down to the clothesline or, you know, something like that. But it's when I was trying to establish myself and I was writing lots of words, learning marketing, responding to structural edits for publishers and using my editing business because, you know, in the first half of my career, that was probably the major part of my income that allowed me to start developing my career. But I think my personality, A-type personality, you know, I always had to be top of the class. I always had to be the best at everything. And I never had any sporting skills or sewing skills or anything like that. So all of my work that I have done in my teaching career and my career as a principal was always computer-based, word-based. So, you know, being an author and an editor was just absolutely perfect career for me. But I tend to get obsessed with it. And it would be nothing for me to be checking my email at six o'clock as soon as I woke up and then still being at the computer at 11.30 midnight the same day Mm -hmm. with very few breaks, very fortunate in having a husband who cooks meals. And initially at night time when he was watching television, I'd come and bring my laptop out here to the living room and in the end he'd say, go and take that thing away so I wouldn't feel guilty about being in the study and and writing because I don't watch television or I didn't watch television. So, you know, pretty much all of my life apart from visiting with the children and the grandchildren or the occasional author lunch, the rest of my life was spent either asleep or at my desk. We've just had five months away when I discovered there is a world out there that's still there that was always there. (laughs) And I really enjoy going out on boats and walking and shopping and visiting and socialising and realise that I've let that go by working too hard. So since we've been home for the last month, even though I did write 60,000 words in a couple of weeks, I did balance that with gardening and walking and you know doing other things I'm reading a lot more and I've actually started to watch Netflix which is something I've never done before (laughs) I I know what's going to happen you're going to start watching Netflix and you're going to have your notepad there going oh that's given me a great idea for a story (laughs) they don't have a notepad it all goes in here I don't take notes (laughs) I've got this you know what a prawn's got in their head and that's what my husband says I have a head full of you know Because everything just goes in there. So, well, yeah, but, you know, like you say, the reading and the Netflix and the walking and the gardening, it all, it's all inspiration. Yeah, for sure. So, well, yeah, so yes. To hear that you, you know, you're getting that nice balance. Because so, yes, there that. is a, a nice balance. I still market and do administration. I've done four hours of that this morning from 8 till 12. This is marketing, I suppose, talking to you and having a lovely catch-up. I will go and write 2,000 words this afternoon, plus I'm working on an edit for a a friend at the moment. So I'll do a little bit of editing tonight. Well, what would be your four top tips, Annie, for authors looking to raise their profile and maybe increase their sales? Okay. Four top tips. The first one is determination passion and belief in yourself if you don't believe you can do it and you don't push yourself to get there that's 
probably the biggest impediment to being successful. You have to have faith in yourself. Even though we have that self-doubt, you've got to overcome that and you've got to be determined. Quality work, as I said before, we see lots of work go up. And I think as well as the belief in yourself and the quality work, you can still put a book up as as a beginning author and I think a lot of people who begin self-publishing sit back and wait to see the sales happen and then they say, it's been four weeks and I haven't sold a book. So as well as having the belief and the quality work, it's still not enough, you have to know how to market and you have to put the hours into marketing and you have to have a profile on social media. What works for you? I know a couple of my author friends have just started on TikTok. Oh, I started yes. I've joined TikTok recently. Yeah, me too, but I haven't done anything with no. it. No, well, I'm lucky that I have two 20-year-old, 20-something daughters who are right into TikTok, so okay. I'm using them as my consultants. Oh, okay. Do they want to come and visit me? <laughs> <laughs> I'll lend them out. I, I'm, uh, I've just done, I, I did a video promo for Osprey Reef about three it's weeks great. ago. great. Did, Did you, you make see? that yourself? No. I, I spoke to another trad-published author, a close friend, who had a fabulous video last year, and I said, who did that for you? And they told me, and I said, how much did it cost you? It's $1,000. I'm not paying $1,000, especially for a trad-published book. So when I was up at the Capricorn Writers' Festival that we spoke about before with Holly Ringland and Rachel Johns and Amy Andrews, I met a, an author who writes under C.S. Mitchell, writes, writes Cozy Mysteries, and we got talking and he told me about this site for indie authors called Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R. I've heard of Fiverr, yeah. I had to. It's run by Read Marketing. And he said, oh, look, you can get a video done on that cheap as so I got on had a look that video cost me $32 wow a bit better than a thousand it is and then I spoke to my I won't say 20 something daughter a little bit older than your 20 something year old and she went oh mum just use Animoto and I said will you do it for me no I'm too busy she's a principal and um, she said but you could do it and I could but again it's time so on my when I said I don't write any notes or have worksheets, I do have a whiteboard in my office with lists of things that I have to do. Mm. Otherwise, I forget. And on the bottom, I have got Animoto and I'm going to have a go at making my own video because I've got so many photos of Osprey Reef yeah. and the boat. But, yeah, that guy, it was made in Bangladesh by a guy who was on Fiverr and it was an incredible video, wasn't it? It was really, really good. I thought that your publisher must have done it for you. I should not have doubted your skills. I should have known that you would have done that. (laughs) My my research skills. Yeah. (laughs) The next one will be one that I've produced. I'll produce by Annie Seaton at the end so you know. (laughs) Okay, we'll look forward to that. Where were we in our list of tips? Um, Determination, belief in yourself, quality work, editing, social media and make sure you have a good cover cover Mm. is everything cover first then i'm actually working with a friend at the moment uh, who i did a gorgeous cover for last week and it's a horror horror genre which i don't enjoy but i did the editing while we're away and did the cover last week and i said to her yesterday now i need a blurb so she sent me a whole outline of the story sent back rudely last night no a blurb doesn't tell, a blurb entices someone to mm. buy the book. So she's reworking her blurb at the moment. So, yeah, cover and blurb are probably up there with the others. Right. 
I did say when we first started chatting, we could talk all day and we could, I know. We nearly um, have. <laughs> we nearly have. And we are going to have a further chat for my Patreon supporters on Rights for Women. But thank you so much for sharing so much of your wisdom and can't wait to see Osprey Reef out there to get my hands on that. Just looks absolutely gorgeous. Anything else that you'd like listeners to know? Just thanks so much for having me again. It's been an absolute pleasure and fabulous to catch up. People can find me on Facebook under Annie Seaton or Annie Seaton Author, Instagram, Seaton Annie 26, which is a hard one because there's already an Annie Seaton who's an artist. And my website's got everything on it. It's just annieseaton.net. And if you want to have a look at my store and how I do that for those who are interested in having a store, it's been very successful. So thank you so much. Fantastic, Annie. It's so good to catch up. And I'll put all those uh, links in the show notes as well for the podcast. And enjoy Osprey Reef. (laughs) I'm sure we will. And um, you better get on to those 2,000 words. Yeah, I will. Oh, it's fun. I know it's going to happen. It's just the fingers have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Get the fingers working. Thanks, Annie. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon, and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4WPodcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women, or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Thanks for listening, have a great week, and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end.